If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. We began a brand new sermon series last uh, Sunday entitled Overcomers, Lessons from the Churches of Revelation. And... uh, By way of review, I just want, we have uh, uh, on the screen here, review of last week's, we can put that up, Charlie, uh, review of Lord of the Church from last week. And uh, we asked the question, how must we acknowledge Jesus as Lord of the Church? And we said, first of all, we must hear his powerful voice. We need to hear the voice of God when he speaks, amen? How many know we need to take the voice of God seriously? Secondly, we must value his holy presence. We are here to meet with the living Christ, the living God, and he's here today. Thirdly, we must recognize his supreme authority. He's Lord over not just the church, but all that exists. Amen. And fourthly, we said we must give him our unquestioned obedience. So that's a review of last Sunday's message. Today we'll be uh, beginning the uh, letters, look at the first letter to the first of the seven churches, and we'll read here in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The Lord speaks to John and says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. The title of my message today is Overcoming a Cold Christianity. Overcoming a cold Christianity. There's a law in the realm of science, perhaps you've heard of it, called the law of entropy. You heard of that? The law of entropy. Which states that things in the universe, if left to themselves, tend toward disorder. If you don't believe that, don't clean your house for about a month or two. Right? Things tend to disorder if they're not kept up with. This principle works in the spiritual realm as well. If the church of Jesus Christ fails to maintain the passion it once had for the Lord, it will gradually sink into an orthodox but dry, lifeless 
religion. This happened to this church here in Ephesus. Ephesus was the largest city in Asia Minor, both in politics and trade. It had, a, it, been, it had been an important harbor. It was also an important cultural center, boasting attractions such as art, science, but also witchcraft, idolatry, gladiators, and persecution of believers. Its temple, built to Artemis, the goddess of fertility, contained 1,000 temple prostitutes. The city was full of Jewish occultism and magical arts. In the middle of this cesspool, Christ established his church through the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19. But now, more than a generation later, Jesus communicates with a church that had remained faithful, but had grown cold. And I want us to understand that distinction. They had remained faithful, as we'll see, but they had grown cold. As he will do with the other six churches, Christ has John write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, the word translated into English, our English Bible's angel, is agalos in the original Greek. And agalos literally means messenger. And so a, a perfectly acceptable and probable uh, translation would be send a letter to the messenger or the pastor, the leader of the church in Ephesus. Not necessarily an angelic being, okay? Because the, as I said, the original word means messenger. So send a letter to the messenger or pastor of the church. Christ's character, this description of which has been taken from John's portrait of him in chapter 1, we looked at that last week, it asserts his authority to communicate his message to the church. He, he's referred to as him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That speaks of his upholding, protecting, uh, and controlling the leaders of the churches in the right hand of his authority. The word for hold in the original Greek is a strong word. It means to hold with authority. He's also described as the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. We said last week the lampstands are... are um, indicative of the churches. He is in the middle of the churches, guarding, examining, uniting them while not being confined to any one of them. With a few exceptions, the pattern of these seven letters to these churches is as, followed, as follows. First, there is a commendation of the church. Secondly, a complaint. Thirdly, a correction or charge to do something about the situation. And fourthly, a challenge. Well, what does this have to do with us? Well, in case you haven't noticed, today our church exists also in a wicked world. Uh, the struggle to keep it going just for the church to survive, and we know what that's about, don't we? That struggle can obscure the need to serve God with passion and with zeal. And isn't that what our church needs today? Not just to survive, but to be passionate, to be zealous for Almighty God. The church that just goes through the motions, that lacks the fire of God, must hear what the Lord of the church says to the church today. So church, let us hear the word of the Lord to us today. I want to look at four aspects of the letter to the church of Ephesus. First, there is a commendation. I know your deeds, the Lord says. I know your deeds. 
He's familiar with their hard work. He mentions their hard work. This was not a lazy church. They worked hard. They, they did their ministries. He says, I know your perseverance. In verse 3, they endured hardships for the name of Christ. The Lord is acknowledging that they have persevered through difficulty. How many know the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has always had to endure hardship? Amen? And that's true today as well. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. The third thing he commends them for is their orthodoxy. He says, you've tested false apostles. And the word in the Greek for tested means to test for the purpose of proving to be evil. He describes these, in 2 Corinthians, Paul describes his opponents as false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. In his farewell to the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20, uh, verses 28 through 31, Paul exhorts them to guard against false teachers. And they heeded his words. And here, a generation later, the Lord Jesus Christ commends them for their orthodoxy and testing of false apostles. He also recognizes their hatred of evil in verse 6. They rejected the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which said that spiritual liberty gave license for idolatry and immorality. Tradition identifies this group with a man named Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, who was possibly one of the first seven deacons, although that can't be confirmed. But this false doctrine, the church in Ephesus took a stand against it. And so the Lord commends them. He commends them for their hard work, their perseverance, and their orthodoxy. They were a church that was faithful. And the Lord says he recognizes that. You know, when you have a surgeon operating on you, you would like to know that this particular surgeon learned how to do things right, wouldn't you? That's a very tepid response. Wouldn't you like to know he doesn't cut corners? Wouldn't you like to know he had better than average grades in medical school? Wouldn't you like to know he received excellent training, that he knows what he's doing? I remember when my wife had emergency foot surgery this summer. You know about that. The surgeon was rather young looking. And, and, and I said to him, really echoing what my wife said, have you done a lot of these the surgeries? He laughed. He said, yes, I've done quite a few. And he, he did a wonderful job. But you want to know that the surgeon is diligent. He's thorough. In matters of life and death, accurate knowledge and quality training are essential. This is also true in the church. So Pastor Tim, what's your point today? The point is this. The Lord knows about your faithfulness. He says to you and me today, I know your deeds. He keeps track of things that you and I do for his kingdom that others may never be aware of. How many know the things we do for God, aren't, we don't always get a pat on the back for him, but he sees. He says to you and me today, I know your deeds. The Lord knows when we suffer for him, when we are mistreated or neglected. He keeps track of all that. The Lord knows when we give proper attention to sound teaching and take a stand against false doctrine. More than ever in our day and age, there is false doctrine. You know, there used to be a saying, if it's in print, it must be true. And that's been supplanted by uh, the saying, well, if it's on the internet, it has to be true. I know it's true. I saw it online. Nothing could be further from the truth. This book is our source of truth. 
and doctrine. Anything from anyone that doesn't line up with this book is false doctrine. Paul said, even if I or an angel from hell preach a different gospel to you, Galatians, he said, let him be accursed. This gospel is the standard. And so the Lord knows when we take a stand against false doctrine. You see, it's not enough for us to do something for God's kingdom. We must be doing the right things and doing them the right way. This morning, I respectfully ask, what are you doing for God's kingdom? Would Christ commend you for it? The Lord of the church says to us, along with the Ephesians, I know your deeds. Thank God. Amen. What's the second aspect of this letter to the church at Ephesus? We find a complaint. A complaint of a forsaken love. He says in verse 4, Yet I hold this against you, in spite of your orthodoxy, in spite of your perseverance, in spite of your hard work, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Now, you need to note, and we need to note, there had been no scandal. There had been no impropriety. As we said, their doctrine was sound. They had been faithful, yet they had left their first love. The Greek for the word left means to quit or forsake. The passion for the Lord, in spite of all their orthodoxy, the passion for the Lord and their love for one another that had been theirs were now gone. Their desire for sound doctrine had become perverted into coldness toward the Lord and toward one another. You have forsaken your first love. Dennis and Linda Rainey, the founders of Family Life Ministries, talk about the natural tendency in all marriages toward isolation, the loss of marital intimacy. They call it drift. They say that couples must take active steps to avoid isolation and promote intimacy. You know that's true. If you don't take steps uh, to promote intimacy and closeness in your marriage, you're just going to drift. Similarly, in our relationship with God, there's a natural tendency toward isolation and the loss of the passion that once characterized our walk with the Lord. We must, in this area as well, recognize the drift that has occurred and take steps to maintain our passion for serving God. As I was coming into church today, I had a song come on by the late Keith Green. Some of you remember Keith Green? Young man who um, got saved out of a drug lifestyle, worldly lifestyle, totally committed to God. He was a modern-day prophet, a voluminous songwriter and minister in song, wrote powerful, profound songs, uh, tragically killed at the age of 28 in a plane crash. But his music and his legacy lives on. And in, in a concert, um, before singing his song that was new at that time, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful, you've heard that. We've sung it here. He said, last Monday night I wrote a love letter to the Lord. He said, I was up late. And I said to the Lord, I've known you a long time. But my heart is getting hard. Uh, he said, I want baby skin on my heart but my heart is growing calloused. My heart is growing hard. But he said, it's not because of anything I've done. 
it's because of what I haven't done. Then he wrote that song, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful, and one verse of that song says this, Oh Lord, please light the fire that once burned bright and clean. Replace the lamp of my first love that burns with holy flame. While such drift may occur gradually, even without one realizing it, we are responsible for it. We need to ask the question whether or not we, like the church of Ephesus, have left our first love. Sometimes you hear people saying we've lost our first love. That's not what the word says. It says we've left our first love. You see, sound doctrine and a burning passion for the Lord are not mutually exclusive. So what do you mean by that, Pastor Tim? Well, you can have sound doctrine and you can be orthodox, but uh, that doesn't mean you can't still be passionate for the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? It's more than just doctrine, it's passion for the Lord. While it's important to defend the faith, it is just as important to love the Lord with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. What are some signs of passion for the Lord? The things that tend to mark the life of a new believer. Not coincidentally. A love for the house of God. A desire to pray and read God's word and conform our lives to its principles. A willingness to devote time, energy, and financial resources to God's work. A strong desire to evangelize. Submission to those in spiritual authority. And a powerful love for God's people, among others. If these are missing from the lives of those in the church, then so is the passion. We must ask ourselves if we have lost the passion for serving God that we once had. You've forsaken your first love. Can that be said of us? We need to ask ourselves. Third aspect of this letter to the Ephesians is correction. And there's a threefold correction that the Lord Jesus Christ prescribes. It's remember, repent, and repeat. He says in verse 5, remember the height from which you have fallen. They needed to remember the harmonious blend of doctrine and passion they once had. Do you remember when you were a new Christian? For some, some of us, it's a long time ago. Remember when you were a baby Christian? You didn't do everything right. You made mistakes. You didn't understand all the doctrine. I know some are saying, Pastor Tim, I still don't. Well, that's okay. You know what I mean? You didn't, you didn't have all your ducks in a row, but you had a passion. You had a zeal. You couldn't wait for the doors of God's house to open so you could be there. You couldn't wait to have time in prayer. You, you tell everybody you came in contact with about the joy you found in Jesus Christ. You wanted to win the whole world to Jesus. You remember that passion? Where is it? Jesus said, remember. Remember the height from which you had fallen. The second part of his prescription is this correction is repent. Now, there's a word we don't hear a lot in churches today. Can I be honest with you? Go online. 
Watch some church services. There are plenty there to watch. And I'm not going to say never because that would, that would be hyperbole. But how often do you hear preaching about repentance? Not much. You, you'll hear a, a thousand times uh, more uh, messages about faith than you will about repentance. You hear a thousand messages about victory than you will about repentance. But repentance is a crucial doctrine in Scripture. The word repent in the original Greek is from the word metanoio, which means to change one's mind because of regret over the course pursued. Jesus says here, if they do not repent, listen to this, he would remove their lampstand from its place. He's, his coming to them here is in judgment. He says he will take away their influence. In essence, the entire church is in danger of excommunication. This is serious business. When the Lord Jesus Christ says, repent, we better hear what he has to say. Remember, repent. And then an interesting word. Repeat. Repeat, do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. We must note that biblical repentance involves more than a change of attitude. It involves a change of action. It involves doing. Do the things you did at first. What we do matters. Amen? What is in our hearts is expressed by how we live. A physical reality for the city of Ephesus illustrates this point and actually may have been in view in the writing of these verses. Ephesus had been a prosperous seaport, as I mentioned, but continually suffered from a problem. The nearby Caister River continually washed sediment down from the mountains into the harbor, filling it with sand and pebbles. Two centuries before here, John wrote to Ephesus, a massive dredging effort had cleaned out the harbor, but now two centuries later it was filling up again, threatening to turn uh, the harbor into a marsh. And over later centuries, the process was allowed to go on unimpeded, the result being that today the ruins of Ephesus are six miles from the sea. Sediment was allowed to build up. The church must be willing to repent and dredge out all that has robbed it of its passion. What's robbing your passion today? If you're not as passionate as you once were, what has clogged up your life? What has filled up your life like that sediment in the Ephesian harbor. We need to dredge it out. We need to dredge it out. To regain our passion for the Lord, we must first remember what it was like when we were on fire, on fire for him. How far have we drifted away? We must repent of careless attitudes which have allowed us to sink into a cold and lifeless faith, and we must repeat the works which display a passion for the Lord. You see, there, there's, a, there's a false um, notion that people say, you know, Pastor Tim, if I do something, but 
my heart's really not in it. That's hypocritical. And I, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. My heart's not really in it, so, so, so I better not. Oh, aren't you pious? Aren't, aren't you noble? What a cop-out. The fact of the matter is, we are called to do the right things, whether we feel like it or not. We need to do what's right. We need to do uh, what, what, what a passionate heart would do. And the feelings will come. Okay? We have become slaves to our feelings. I'm just not feeling it. I don't want to be a hypocrite. No, but you're okay being disobedient. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We need to do the right things. We need to do the, the, the things that passionate Christians do. The feeling, feelings will come and go. Amen? But we need to be doing what's right. Repeat the works. Do the first things that you did. If the Lord is speaking a word of correction to us today, we must pay attention. We must remember, repent, and repeat. What's the fourth part of this uh, important letter to the church of Ephesus and by extension to us? It's a challenge to hear and overcome. In verse 7, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How many have ears today? About five, okay. We, we understand that language. That's a, that's a metaphor that's clearly and immediately understandable. He who has ears. That means everyone. That's all of us. You ever leave a Sunday uh, service and the sermon was, was kind of pointed like maybe today's is and you said, boy, I hope so-and-so heard that. This message isn't for the other guy. It's for us. If we have ears, we need to hear. Are we hearing today? Are we hearing what the Lord is saying? Hear, and then secondly, there's a promise to him who overcomes. The message to all the churches and to all Christians is to overcome those who are trying to overcome them. In this case, a cold, passionless faith. This mandate is to, is to, to overcome is for all Christians, not just a few super-Christians. 1 John 5, 4 says this. Listen, church, we need to hear this. Everyone born of God, everyone born of God overcomes the world. Hallelujah. I'm going to say that again. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Hallelujah. We are called to be overcomers today. Hallelujah. Called to be the head and not the tail. And that's not some appeal to our pride like we're somebody special. We're all sinners saved by grace. But by God's grace, we're called to be overcomers today. And listen to the promise he gives. He says, I will, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Paradise was a Persian term which originally meant pleasure garden. In the original pleasure garden, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve could have chosen to eat from either the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
they sinned in choosing the latter and were banished from the garden, lest they, quote, take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Genesis 3.22. The word paradise came to refer to heaven. Uh, Jesus referred to it thusly uh, on the cross in Luke 23. And it, the word tells us that the tree of life is in, Revelation 22.2 tells us the tree of life is in heaven. Here, Jesus Christ promises the overcomer access to the tree of life in the final paradise that man lost through sin in the first paradise. But this does not only refer to life in eternity, though that is when it's consummated, but to all the blessings of salvation available to the overcomer now. We're called to be overcomers right now. Right now. You know when you pursue an education, pursue a college degree, how grueling it can be. But the joy of finally obtaining that diploma, it can't be beat, can it? For some it seems like more of a challenge than for others, but for all it is a great accomplishment because it gives the graduate access to areas of pursuit in life that would have been previously denied. The promise of reward makes accepting the challenge worthwhile. This morning, the Lord of the church is issuing a challenge today, a challenge to you and a challenge to me. The challenge is to overcome. What are we to overcome? We're to overcome the tendency to drift along whichever the way the winds of life blow us. We must have the zeal that once characterized our Christian life. The reward more than makes up for the difficulty of the challenge. We can have a taste of paradise right here on earth, but we must be overcomers instead of being overcome. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we're cast down but not destroyed. Hallelujah. Yes, we face trials. Yes, we suffer. Yes, we deal with difficulties. But we're still called to be overcomers. Hallelujah. 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 Many of us might feel we are so far removed from where we once were spiritually that it is impossible to get back, but I submit to you today it's not impossible. We must remember four things, however. The Lord commends us for our faithfulness. Our service has not go, gone unnoticed by Him. We must secondly hear the Lord's complaint against us. You have left your first love. Is that true for you? In other words, you have... Uh, let the passion that you once had slip away. Thirdly, we must receive correction. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and repeat. Do the first works you once did. And fourthly, we must accept the Lord's challenge that the overcomer will eat of the tree of life. Hallelujah. We shall be overcomers forever. I submit to you today, we can and we shall overcome a passionless faith and burn brightly for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.